Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, Trunk fan, me, Master Flex himself, Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, and I'm Bilal Zaidi. And we're going to kick it off, boys. This is Meme of the Week. Who sent this? Was this you, Trunk? Who sent I, this in I, the This group, one was Jack? definitely flying around. It could have been, could have been anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so if people don't know, it's been ETH Denver, right? In the last, uh, in the last week. And our boy Vitalik wears the most incredible drippy Dude, you gotta zoom garments. in you gotta zoom you gotta in on zoom this photo <laughs> um but yeah so oh man i can't i've got this handheld you guys it's all good today. it's all good so the the dude the man greg writes uh, i have complete confidence in this man to send ethereum <laughs> to the moon but this is uh there's been a variation of this uh photo going around and being like i have my entire this man will dictate my entire net worth over the next decade. He's taking us to the moon, boys. I mean, that, that's all we want to see. Um, but yeah, man, if Denver, we, none of us actually... Jack, you didn't end up going, right? You were considering no, going. I was thinking about it, but I stayed home, yeah. Well, but I mean, last time uh, uh, Jack Butcher went uh, to a Web3 event, <laughs> NFT NYC, he left it and sold every single NFT. Yo. <laughs> he had enough. <laughs> Is Wait, better that's, in not the fair. that's not fair but you did leave there you're like you know what i want to diversify my assets a little bit i updated my thesis let's leave it at that <laughs> so yeah that's if you it. might have gone to eat denver you might have been like, you know what i might go 100 percent btc here no i don't know i well we'll have to do some roundup stuff in the in the coming weeks yeah when, uh, when they when they're done uh when they're done next week um and the, the last thing the last thing i'll uh I'll add on that point was uh, Vitalik will be chatting or he, he commented on the Canadian situation, uh, the Trudeau situation. I'm not going to say what it was. I know Bilal's going to tee up yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, today. well, we're going to cover it today. So, yeah, to give people a sense of what we're chatting about today, we're going to talk about OpenSea. Uh, I mean, a lot of people in our Telegram chat, we've been chatting about this as well. Um, if you call fishing, it a hack, a phishing attack, attack there's, yeah. there's, we're going to break that down today. Um, you know, it's changing every day, but we'll try our best to break that down. Then we're going to talk Canada. We had to do it. Obviously, our boy Trunk hails from the big CA, and uh, we need to talk about Canada's situation, what's going on there. And as it relates to kind of more beyond just the news, like the philosophical side, we're going to talk about 6529, Punk 6529's right to transact super thread super that viral, went around. Super viral thread. Super viral related to this situation. Uh, we'll be chatting a little bit about M-Pesa, how it compares to that in Canada as well, um, and how it will, might impact the Canadian banks. So we'll talk about that as well. And then to round us up, we're going to have a fun fact fan on Starbucks, lifetime value, and how they get us all to use those gift cards and why they're doing that. So <laughs> let's just get straight into it, boys. I think we're going to kick it off with OpenSea. Um, Jack, I know you've been following this. You're our resident NFT guy. Um, so yeah, what, what's been going on on the OpenSea side? So I think it was Saturday night. It all kicked off. Um, OpenSea, I believe a week ago, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, I don't know the exact time frame. announced that they're going to be migrating uh, their smart contract, like their listing contract to a new contract. So they've had the banner up on the top of the OpenSea website, like get ready to move your listings over to this new contract. Um, I'm not deeply technical, but they use this protocol called Wyvern, which is like an open source, uh, an open source, um, contract, I guess, that they take pieces from to, to facilitate transacting on OpenSea. And my understanding of it and what's been reported today is that someone took advantage of that migration 
to send an email out to people to get them to sign a false transaction. So, you know, all this messaging has been pushed out by OpenSea. Everybody's on there every day is seeing like, okay, get ready to migrate to this new contract. You're going to have to change your listings over from the existing OpenSea to the next. Um, so any NFTs that you have listed, you would have to essentially move them from one contract to another. And my understanding of how the exploit went down is somebody was able to send an email out to enough OpenSea users to say, hey, come and migrate your listings. It's ready to go. There's a blue button that says, do it now. People click on it, takes you to a cloned version of OpenSea and pops up a transact, a signature request, which is essentially like giving permission for them to access all the NFTs that you have currently listed. So you hit sign. I don't think anything particularly significant happens after that. And then they wait until, you know, a week later on that Saturday night for all of the people that signed it. And then they can essentially move the NFTs that were like previously, they'd previously been given access to. So I think it amounted to about 32 about 30, 32 is a number I've heard people that were uh, affected by it and like one point, one point something million dollars worth of NFTs. Did you guys NFTs. get the phishing email? I think I got it, honestly. Uh, okay. I actually haven't looked back. I remember seeing an email just like, I just wouldn't click on any link in email with anything even remotely related. Because actually, <laughs> I, this is a long, an old story, but I had a friend in high school who like, showed me how easy it was to like change the send from and an email, you know, there were like, there used to be tools where you could literally type in the email, like the email address you want something to be sent from, yeah. which is mental. And obviously um, when people have a significant amount of value at stake, like you should just avoid that stuff at all costs, but it, it did like the wider discussion again, I don't know the intricacies of the technical exploit, but the wider discussion is like, this whole NFT market has brought in unsophisticated, maybe a crude term, but it's like people who do not know the intricacies, myself included to some extent of like cybersecurity, cryptography, totally. like it's a very, very deep rabbit hole. And you're signing like requests that, you know, 90, 95% of people can't decode a solidity contract. Right. It's um, I tweeted on Saturday when this was happening, you remember that like, it was a t-shirt design. I forget where it came from originally, but it said the cloud is just someone else's computer. I think we talked about it in the podcast at one point. And then the parallel to that is like the contract is just someone else's code, right? So somebody else has written this thing and there are like behaviors that have been normalized. Like you're signing transactions all the yeah. time. You think you're on OpenSea. Uh, and the reality is if you can't read like the intricacies of the contract, you don't know what you're signing in the same way you sign like a hundred page legal document totally. and you might have just signed something that's, you know, well, I don't know, locked you into some disagreeable situation, which we all do pretty frequently. Dude, I, I just want to echo that. Right. It's like there, I, to my knowledge, I haven't been hit by a phishing scam yet, but there's no question that it will hit me one day. You know what I mean, it's like, I just blindly open emails. <laughs> it's like, all I know is this, never open an attachment from a random email. That's all I know. You never open a random PDF file. But man, some of this stuff gets really uh, sophisticated, right? Like the clone sites is like, it happens with banks all the time. It's like, they'll send people to 
fully cloned bank sites, right? It's like, man, it's like pretty, if you're not paying attention, which I'm not most of the time, you're going to get hit. So like, and, and it goes back to the whole Nigerian kind of email scam or the print scam that happened decades ago. It was like, the whole point is if you, you don't need a lot of people to convert, right? It's just like anything. You send out a million of these emails. You want like 0.001. And, and to Jack's earlier point is like, there will be quote unquote unsophisticated parties to be fully transparent. Like I would include myself in many ways amongst this groups. Like it's just, there's levels though, right? There's certain people you're looking for the people that really shouldn't be doing these things. Yeah. And I think go on on below. No, I was just going to say, but like maybe we're going to say something similar, which is, the nft stuff is even for people like us who are fairly internet savvy it's still super confusing even beyond just the uh solidity contact solidity contract you just mentioned like that is like 10 out of 10 complex for an average joe but i mean even just like installing a metamask wallet understanding this new idea of like why am i writing these words down and yeah. also the kind of promise of oh everything is encrypted right like that's kind of why you think this is an alternative <laughs> but and it can be super encrypted but like if you're still going to fall for a phishing scam um that's just old tactics on new rails right. essentially so and now you have to go buy yourself a, a, a kettlebell and hide stuff underneath it exactly exactly for for the for the any new listeners uh jack jack butcher has kettlebells uh i don't know if he does anymore especially because you made it public but uh the nah. seed phrases used to be engraved in the bottom of the kettlebell <laughs> yeah but yeah anyway, it's, uh, it's, yeah i was just gonna say um it also ties into what we talked about with uh rick last week or the week before where yeah, um like everybody who is doing these things or like like trying to take advantage of the unregulated market generally speaking they get caught right because you have to convert the crypto at a certain point or it interacts with an address that has your name address bank account attached to it so the likelihood is like people get people get found out so um there's like this confusion that it's this wild west like completely unaccountable thing but you know it's again completely transparent everybody knows every single transaction i actually saw a few tweets when it was going down where people were like hey like adding um kraken support the exchange said hey do you have kyc for this address this is a, this is like you know where the contract originated this address is associated with it if you want to know how i found out the address dm me and they were going back and forth on on twitter with kraken so um it's it's still like, I, I think it, part of it is like, it's that one of the reasons there are like life changing gains in this space too, right? It's cause it's just completely nuts. And like the barrier to entry is quite significant technically. And then the risk of holding the assets in, uh, you know, the risk that you're like unknowingly exposing yourself to is kind of nuts. There's this huge meme on Twitter with like the board ape uh, people are like giving their seed phrases away and losing their board apes, right? Like social engineering. They think they're talking to MetaMask support. Exactly. Bro. And then they just go on, reveal the seed phrase and then it's, it's game over. And it's like, we're open C. Can you do something about this? It's like, it's kind of got nothing to do with open C, right? Totally. They're just a interface that lives on top of, this market or this um like data set and i think that's like another mental model that people are 
because you're logging into a website with a URL and a logo and they're making revenue off of it, you feel like they have responsibility. And I think to some degree they do, but it's also um, like bad actors in general pop up across the board. Like I'm, I'm dealing with it on Instagram right now. Get like these fake accounts, clone my account on Instagram and follow people and message them. But there's nothing I can do about it. And like, if people were like, if you are held responsible for the things people, um, you know, people essentially, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for impersonating you or like making the platform, like that's kind of a very, very slippery precedent to set, right? Like OpenSea could have and probably should have better communication practices in place where it's like, we like in the same way your bank says, we'll never phone you and ask for um, your account number or whatever it might be. There are going to need to be advances in this. Or like the onboarding, they'll be like, we will never do these following things. Like ever. exactly. Like, here's yeah, and that- these will never happen. And that's not the experience right now, right? It's like you go on there and you're just on there and crack on. And you just, yeah. I think a lot of people assume if money changes hands, then the platforms that are involved have a certain degree of responsibility. And that's, I don't think as true as maybe it once was because, you know, you're operating in a different system. And that's like, I heard I sat it's a little bit insufferable. I went in a couple of the Twitter spaces while it was happening and it's very clear that a lot of people don't know what they're doing. Like it's just a. So what were you hearing? Like what, what was going on? Well, first of all, was it, what was the room, the mood in the room? Cause a lot of these Twitter spaces is like zero energy. <laughs> so like, what was the mood in this Twitter space? Well, it was the, the strangest thing I think was, it was like, I think one person who had been a victim of this yeah. thing and there were a couple of people trying to diagnose and try and help and like just asking basic questions that they couldn't answer was like, wow, you, like having this amount of financial exposure to a thing that is uh, like very beyond your understanding is like wildly irresponsible, right? That's not what you tell somebody in the middle of a crisis, but it's like, that's something <laughs> yeah, that yeah, should yeah, have been figured out before. Yeah, actually have a body, lost their What if on stage you're like, hey, listen, uh, just tell us your seed phrase right now. And yeah. uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> they start rattling off their yeah. seed phrase. We'll, we'll yeah. recover it for you live and yeah, just show we'll this as a case study. <laughs> just share yeah, as a case study. Share us your seed phrase and also yeah. your social security while you're at it. And I think like this will. This is like one of the big macro discussions. Is like, can you get mass adoption for something like that when? Uh, one, the technical, but so people were like talking about Solana as a platform where it's like, there's a Solana LLC that you can ring up be like, Hey, I got, I don't know if that's literal. I don't know if that's literally true that you can, but like the level of, um, like the, the philosophy behind that is completely different, right? Like the, it's not about decentralization with, a degree of cost and responsibility associated with it. It's like, what can you build on top of this centralized ledger really, really quickly? And maybe some of those things will have capped downside or insurance or parties responsible for X, Y, and Z. Like new blockchains and systems may have different social uh, like norms and expectations. So at the end, like I went to bed on Saturday night. I was like, oh man, maybe I signed a transaction 
six months ago, I'm going to wake up with an empty wallet. I have no idea. Did you, did you take any, did you take any measures? Yeah. So you, I try and do this actively, but you can disconnect any, like any approval you have, um, previously assigned uh, obviously wallet, did right? request that they did say specifically like here's a link for here's a link you should click yeah yeah <laughs> well no they, yeah, well, all they said i think it's like don't click links outside of OpenSea, and then like the community in all fairness to them was like this is these are the steps you should take to minimize your risk go to etherscan connect your wallet see which contracts you've given uh approval to and then revoke access to all of those contracts. It's like, and while it was happening, it was a total frenzy because everybody's trying to do it at the same time. Sites going yeah. down. And then Jack, it's kind of like for people who haven't done that before, it's like when you've given access to your Google account, like Google login or Facebook login, and you can go in there and say, like, look at all the different sites, like mint.com and blah, blah, blah. Exactly all the sites right. you've used as a sign in is connected. You can go in and, you know, revoke access to those two. And similarly with this, it's the same thing, basically, I think. But um, you're yeah. basically saying, don't mess around with my wallet. You don't have access anymore. Yeah. And, and I think, like, the interesting thing about it is it's like the transaction or things can happen post signature. The signature isn't you signing the transaction. It's you giving permission for transactions to happen post. Right. And there could yeah. be, I think this Wyvern protocol has some very like nuanced uh, permissions where one signature can be manipulated to like allow certain things to happen in the future that might not be common on other protocols. Like, you assume like there's a load of jo jokes going around on Twitter. Like I just unplugged my ledger. I just turned my Wi-Fi off. Should be good. Right. Like <laughs> you're all, the old way you're used to interfacing with technology that it's like this thing that's sitting on your desk or like this, like this, you know, picture that lives on a USB drive in, on your desk. It's just not the case. Right. There's uh, so many, there's so much nuance to it. And like when I think a lot of people got in and, you know, maybe they spent a couple hundred bucks and because of the parabolic growth in the space, like we talked about this a few episodes back, like it becomes a much more significant amount of exposure than you ever thought it might be. And you're maybe your, your mentality around security doesn't, doesn't catch up with that level of significance. Cause, and other people just like riding high on, um, the fumes. the growth of the space itself yeah. yeah but without like taking it seriously and the, punk 6529 uh, a bunch of other people have been like sounding the alarm on this for a long time but again it's like people are just euphoric and like that's the last thing a lot of people want to take time and spend time doing is, is getting all that stuff secure but we've talked about on here like there are things that you can do that are just you know, foolproof essentially. Like you have cold wallets that never interact with any contracts ever. And if you have anything valuable, that's where you put it. Like yeah, anything that like touches the internet. Basically. Exactly. Anything that touches the internet. And this is like, broadly speaking, rule of thumb is vulnerable. So like, if you want to keep something um, as safe as you possibly can, just it should never, ever, ever have any interaction with, the, with yeah. the internet. Yeah. 
So, um, and so, all right, so just to summarize, so we think it's only been about 30-something people f- as of now, but obviously, I've, I've heard like quite a few different reports on this, so it's kind of hard to confirm the amount, and I, I don't think it's fully confirmed either. OpenSea hasn't really clarified as of recording today. Um, originally, when it first went out, there was talk about it being a smart contract hack, essentially. That was more concerning in a way, because... That is something the whole space is built on, obviously, and um, it's very different just to a phishing scam. So, yeah, as of now, it sounds like it is more of a phishing scam, but people have been um, caught out here. Is there anything else on that, Jack, on the open sea side before we move on to Canada? What advice are you giving to our listeners right now? What not investment advice are you yeah, giving? Yeah, <laughs> what not security advice do you give? <laughs> yeah, definitely don't give. De- definitely don't click on any links you all know this and then anything of value like should be getting cold wallets that you store that stuff in permanently no interaction with the internet and then all of your like transactional wallets like should just be used for that right and that's like i think another behavior is like you don't have 20 emails because it's it's chaos but like to create a new ethereum wallet takes one click and it's like the cost to you is not significant, right? So uh, take advantage of the fact that you can set up additional wallets to protect yourself from, you know, having everything jumbled in the same in place space. and signing transactions. And yeah, that's, that's just bad practice. So that makes sense. All right. Great, man. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully no one, no one listening got, got hacked here, but um, yeah, let us know in the telegram group what's going on. Um, if you have any other tips for people. Um, all right. Should we move on to Canada boys? Because this has been going on for, um, I think it's like 10 days, two weeks. I, I, I can't It's been keep... multiple weeks. We haven't touched on it yet, but it's gotten to such a point, right? Or NAA fam, you know, we always trying to keep you fully in the loop John drop as much knowledge and laughs as possible so this morning me jack and balau we recorded a bit and coming up is the section on justin trudeau and the emergencies act in canada uh, we recorded this morning monday february 21st so i'm coming at you in the evening of monday february 21st because from the time we recorded to now uh the house of commons the canadian parliament has voted on whether to allow the emergencies act to stay or not, uh, Justin Trudeau made the case that while Ottawa, the areas where the protesters have been congregating, has been cleared out, and essentially, uh, by all accounts, it looks like the protest is quote-unquote over, he's saying the emergency is not over because it's not clear if protests may come back, if there are other protests around the city uh, as of Monday evening that we don't know about. So right now, the House of Commons has voted uh, to allow the Emergencies Act to continue. The Liberal Party, Justin Trudeau's party, with the support of the NDPs, have pushed it through. It's going to the Senate now, which in Canada is a bit more ceremonial. Uh, uh, from what I understand, it's looking like a rubber stamp. They will get the Emergencies Act passed, or not passed, it will be allowed to continue, uh, which means uh, the Emergency Act and the kind of the extrajudicial powers that are given to the government, uh, the federal government at this time will continue to mid-March. And uh, we'll discuss uh, primarily the the freezing of bank accounts uh, without having to go through courts, which is kind of the main piece, especially for the NIA crowd and I guess in the Twitter circles that we run in where people have really uh, uh, made it an issue. 
uh, other things that they still have powers with is basically some tow trucks weren't going to tow the trucks previously for the, uh, the protesters' trucks, but uh, the Emergencies Act gave the government the power to do that. So just saying, it's a banger piece coming. You're going to really enjoy the next part. It's a bit more philosophical about how the Emergencies Act affects, uh, you know, digital assets, crypto and Bitcoin. Does it increase the case for it? You know, TLDR, we think it does. I think that's pretty much a sentiment of a lot of our listeners that have been following the uh, the, the, the trucker freedom convoy in Canada and the Emergencies Act situation. But uh, just wanted to give you guys that update because you know, it's pretty important to the story. And it happened a, a, a bit after recorded this morning. And listen, I know usually when front seat fan comes, I'm in the front seat. But today I'm actually just giving you front seat fan, you know, into my standard standing desk. Uh, uh, it's a little bit cold outside. That's the reason I did hop in the car and uh, give you the full front seat fan treatment. But um, uh, things can change. Uh, basically, um, who knows, by Tuesday night, if this comes out or Wednesday morning when this podcast comes out, um, the NDP can basically pull support for the Emergencies Act if they think that it's gone on too long or the powers are no longer needed. Uh, Trudeau is basically saying or that he doesn't want it to have to go any longer than it has. Uh, but uh, we'll address the question of should they have done the Emergencies Act in the first place or was it an overreach? So a lot can change. But either way, at a minimum, want to give you guys that update. And then next week, for sure, in our next episode, if something crazy happens, you know we're coming in hot with some jokes, memes, and insights. Thank you, NAA fan. Maybe let's start off with a summary. I know people have probably been reading the news, but for anyone who doesn't really know, in like a minute or so, what is the summary and what has been going on there? And then we can start to break it down after that. Okay, so a few weeks ago, uh, there was um, a, a convoy called the Freedom Convoy. They announced that they would a number of truckers, I don't know how many, maybe hundreds, maybe up to a thousand, that they were going to go to Ottawa to kind of uh, protest uh, vaccine mandates uh, related to crossing the U.S. and Canadian border. They're truckers, they deliver goods. And um, so this was announced in advance. They go, they head down to Ottawa, and instead of engaging with the truckers, um, which some people believe were being funded by far-right extremist groups in the United States. Uh, there has been proof that uh, the, the definitely the right-wing or even the right-wing media in the United States has been using this entire incident to really drum up, you know, people just need stuff to consume, right? So they're getting people fired up and uh, uh, on Facebook groups and online. But having said that, this convoy announces they're heading to Ottawa. Uh, they head towards there um, and the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet had the opportunity to uh, maybe negotiate or speak with the convoy in person. Uh, instead, they immediately paint them as extremists and uh, they throw out the Nazi and uh, and uh, and you know like w white supremacist labels, which is just like immediately off the bat. What that does is you can no longer negotiate with these people, right? So like they've taken that off the table. So this happened all within the last 10 to 14 days. But the major impact was at the Ambassador Bridge, which connects uh, the United States and Canada, uh, Ontario and Michigan, uh, and accounts for 25% of kind of the Canadian economy. But that was blocked. So that was a pretty big emergency. But that got cleared out uh, by just pretty standard means. Uh, over the last week, what has happened is that the convoy has stayed in Ottawa, has disrupted kind of the day-to-day -day going on. It was like a protest like uh, we had with Occupy Wall Street 
or the BML protests in uh, the summer of 2020, or was it last year? I can't remember. But like this, it was this nature of protest, but largely unviolent. Uh, there, to, to kind of root it out and just end it, last Sunday, I believe, uh, Trudeau announced the Emergencies Act, which is the first time it's ever been done in Canada. It's a, it's a version of what was previously called the War Measures Act, but essentially it gives the exec, it gives you basically wide ranging and sweeping powers to, you know, do certain things to end an emergency. And it was initially meant, I mean, previous in Canadian history, it's been pulled out three times, the version of it, the War Measures Act. It was during World War One, World War II. And in 1970, during what was known as the FLQ crisis, so in 1970, this was done by Pierre Trudeau. This was the first time it wasn't done during a quote-unquote war. But what had happened is that the deputy premier of Quebec was uh, Pierre Laporte was kidnapped and eventually murdered by a separatist group in Quebec. So uh, for people who don't know, Quebec uh, province in Eastern Canada has basically for the last 150 years, uh, they've had a very ten- contentious relationship with the larger, uh, you know, the country of Canada. They believe there should be the elements of Quebec believes it should be its own country. And in 1970, obviously went quite extreme. So to, to kind of reiterate is Trudeau does an emergencies act uh, that gives him wide sweeping powers that had only been used three previous times, twice during world wars, one time still widely debated whether or not his father, Pierre Trudeau should have done it. Uh, But at that moment, there was a hostage crisis and eventual killing of a high ranking uh, Quebecois uh, politician. So and so, Trung, just to, to reiterate from what I'm hearing is basically those were really extreme. Obviously, two world right. wars and something very, very extreme on the third case. Yeah. And the question is, does this warrant the Should same? Justin Trudeau have done it? The Emergencies Act. Yeah. In Based 2022, yeah. for what is largely an unviolent protest. Listen, there the, people have said that there are elements in Ottawa, heavily armed elements. I'm not sure how accurate that is. I don't know if it's directly related to protest. It wouldn't shock me if people are using the cover of kind of what's happening to do some crazy shit. Uh, there's no question about it, right? But to say that was the nature of the protest when it began, I think that's inaccurate. Uh, the labeling of the protesters as white supremacists and Nazi sympathizers from the very beginning, I believe, was inaccurate and also a very divisive move. Um, but I, they kind of painted himself into corner Trudeau did. So they, they, but they do the emergencies act now, and this is where it gets more relevant to not investment advice listeners. So the element of the emergencies act, which has become particularly, uh, globally newsworthy is that anybody that is involved in the protest or donated to the protest can now have their bank assets frozen. Right. And so, a really viral a tweet, an email went out a couple of days ago. Uh, it was of uh, wait, Blau, do you have it? It's of the uh, one of the in, yeah, one of the this. financial it- institutions. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, read it out. That up. So before you pull it up, I'll just talk about. So basically, all the Canadian banks, uh, asset managers, insurance companies have been told by the Canadian government: here's a list of thirty to fifty people. You have to freeze their assets. The problem is they're not going through the court system because they're using the emergencies measures to do this. So typically, listen, if people are committing crimes, great. Go through the court systems and let's, you know, reprimand them and, and, and find out if they are guilty. But you have to go through the court system, right? You can't bypass the court system. And if you are doing that, it should be a real emergency. So the specific language in the Emergencies Act is 
if there is terrorist financing. This is what it was meant for, to cut off terrorist financing. So imagine it's 2001, 9-11 is happening. You're like, okay, are terrorists, is there financing from the Middle East funding more sleeper cells in America? If there's proof of that, listen, let's just do the Emergencies Act, uh, the Equivalent in America, I think now RICO is a related kind of act that they have uh, to do that. But the whole point being like, is the Ottawa protest kind of a terrorist situation? Is it is it threatening the sovereignty of the country of Canada? I don't think that that's been met, right? So just two days ago or yesterday, the premier of Alberta is Ran, put a lawsuit to the federal government saying, you know, we don't think that this has met the standard. So just to summarize and bring it back to the non-investment advice listeners and stuff we're going to talk about is like, when you start freezing people's assets, uh, a really viral thread came out from uh, punk six, five, two, nine, talking about why freezing people's assets without, you know, due course or going through the courts, you know, what does this really mean? It's like, you're effectively knocking people out of society, right? It's like, if we're talking, if we're going to talk about the United States specifically, so Canada obviously has a different setup for their government, but let's take kind of the globally well-known United States perspective on freedom, right? There's the bill of rights. So like you have certain rights that are guaranteed by the U S government, right? You have the right to speech assembly and religion. You're innocent until proven guilty. Uh, if the state says you're guilty of something, again, you're innocent, but they're going to have to prove it in a court of law, right? But this is what happens when you use the Emergencies Act to freeze people's finances. And specifically, Punk says the right to transact. So let's talk about the freedoms to assemble, speech, and religion. The problem is if you can't transact, access your finances, you can't do any of those other things. And so he gives a very specific examples. Okay. So if you want to exercise your freedom of speech, it's going to cost money. You need money to run a website, print pamphlets, run advertisements, you know, pay a graphic designer to make those pamphlets and travel to different locations to exercise your freedom of speech. If you have no money or right to transact, you can't do that. If you're frozen out of the banking system, you can't do that. Next one, the freedom of assembly. People can congregate together and voice their displeasure. Well, what if you need to take a train to Washington, D.C., or you need to pay for gas on your freedom convoy to Ottawa? If you don't have money or the right to transact, you don't have that freedom. The freedom to assemble is no longer available to you. And then even whatever you feel about, you know, your personal religious uh, uh, beliefs, if there's a kind of the freedom to have those beliefs, well, I mean, if you have no money, you can't rent a space for you and your fellow believers to congregate and share ideas, right? You can't pay the salaries of religious officials. And then the last thing that he notes here is that you can't buy food for people to come together. So the right to transact is actually the foundation with which all these other rights happen, right? And the in Canada, you're literally knocking these people now, the, the 30 to 50 people. Again, I'm not saying what their guilt is or is not but we should find out through the court of law because effectively what's happened is no bank's going to touch them. What bank will touch these individuals, right? And now there's a list of donors that apparently are still going to be chased down once this whole thing's cleared out. The, the police chief of Ottawa says, no, we're going to keep pursuing people that we're going to find in footage. And there's a threat that we might freeze their accounts. And the whole point is that you're knocking people out of society by not letting them transact. Sure, there are, there are vehicles for you to do that and methods to do that. It has to go through the court system. And this 
in my opinion, also, I don't know. I don't think this met the standard for what was needed, but so I'm going to throw it back to you guys, because when this was happening, you guys as non-Canadians were just like, Whoa, what is going on? Because it did really feel like a red line was crossed. Right. And the fact that it came from Canada was so shocking. I mean, the Canada's motto is peace, order, and good government, right? Or good government. Yeah, it's not good, like sorry, the reputation is, oh, like, there's yeah. there's war there all the time. It's like exactly. generally very peaceful, chill place. People think very, you know, uh, highly of it in that way. If you said, oh, this happened in D.C. during the Trump administration or something exactly. like that, you'd be like, oh, okay. Even then, you might be kind of surprised and think you're we shouldn't be done, but you'd be like, okay, I could see it happening a little bit more. There's a bit more chaos, on on average, anyway. Um, but at the same time, to keep it objective, like I don't want to turn this into a political thing, but you know, Trudeau, he's more left leaning, right? Though a lot of yeah. my Canadian friends say he's more central, more center, but I've always just seen him as very left. A lot of these sort of measures seem to be coming from more left-leaning governments. I don't know. Again, that is a very amateur statement for me. I don't know enough about the global right. it's a, politics. It's the, of, it's the, you're, I think you're alluding to like kind of the authoritarian. Authoritarian, exactly. And this is well, coming from someone who generally, yeah. to put it out there, I'm a left-leaning person. I've voted left my whole life, right? So it's not like I'm like, oh, I hate that side. Like I've generally been on that side. But being objective and zooming out, saying like they, they're, they're using kind of like this that language, like you said, like by painting someone a Nazi, you can then go and do kind of whatever and you want to exactly, do. Exactly, right? Exactly. And, and, and I like want to make clear is like, signaling I, I do not too. know the guilt or non-guilt of these individuals. That's true, I just yeah. want it run through the court systems because what this does is it you've, you've presented a weapon now in the Canadian government, which means if the ruling Canadian party, whoever that is, right? Might, it's not going to be Trudeau 10 years from now. You might not like who it is in 20 years from now, right? But now they have a tool where if anyone protests something that they don't like about the government, the government can call it illegal and shut those people out of society without going through proper court channels. And that is extremely dangerous. I mean, so one of us, uh, one of you guys posted the article from DHH, uh, David Hauser Hansen. They found a co-founder of Basecamp. Yeah. So he's a very outspoken tech executive. And he basically said what shocked him. First of all, he's a huge crypto skeptic, massive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he just said, but this was a wake up moment for him because he's like, okay, now like this is, you know, the Bitcoin community has been talking about this for over a decade. They're talking, oh, look, look at the Venezuelans. They need Bitcoin. Look at the Chinese citizens. They need Bitcoin. But that's obviously very far removed, right? But when you see the Can Canadians need Bitcoin. Yeah, on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah on different... your doorstep. Yeah. He actually made a very good point. He said that a, an important point that DHH makes in uh, the article was he basically said, if Trump had done this to the BLM protesters, uh, it may not have hit as hard because everybody's expecting him to do something that crazy and extreme. Right. But you're seeing kind of Justin Trudeau and the Canadian government do it. No expectation that was going to happen. Like this very polite society pulling out the most hardcore weapon you could do to wipe somebody out of, out, out of like being a protester or, or, or interacting in daily life. So it's a wake up call for the world is like, listen, if this can happen in Canada, uh, it can literally happen anywhere. So I think, I think that was a very good point made. I mean, Jack, I know you had thoughts about it, man. When it, you were the one that put me onto it when it came out, you were feeding like our, our, our Twitter DM chat. You're like sending memes nonstop. Like, bro, what is going on in Canada? <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, I mean, it's so it was surreal to see it. I think, um, like you said, Trung, the I think it goes deeper than it's like money is the tool to assemble. It's like money. If you don't, if like if someone can control your money, then they can control you in every single possible way, and that's like a horrible precedent to set, and something that any you would think any like democratic government would condemn in any other country in the world, like literally would invade countries to stop, right? Or uh, would justify the invasion right. of a country to stop. Just for X. people listening, uh, Jack just did air quotes with his hands. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like the hypocrisy of it and the like hypocrisy doesn't feel like a strong enough word. Like the precedent that it sets is just incredibly like dangerous and scary. And I don't know, like I'm not there in Canada, obviously Trump, but like the Canadian and American connection is so like North America, right? Canada is a part of North America. And for that to happen, I think what people don't empathize with in the, in the Bitcoin discussion or haven't for a long time is people have genuinely been advocating for Bitcoin as a mechanism for speech and wealth preservation in right. places where governments have made dog shit decisions and eroded people's wealth, taken away their freedom, done whatever it is that is like essentially treading on the human rights that we all agree upon largely. And to see it happen in Canada is just like, it's just mind blowing, man. And it's, and it's not a proportionate response by any 100%. way, shape or form. Um, so, and I think it may have been like, I may like, it may have been an overplaying of the hand. Like this might be the straw that like gets people to think way more deeply about what do the people that, claim to be, you know, acting in your defense, actually believe about how they should control the world. And that to me is like a very, very sharp demonstration of who you think you are and how much control you think you should have over people. Not a good look. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, Jack was putting the, uh, he called it the best Super Bowl ad for, for crypto was the announcement by uh, a deputy a prime minister, uh, 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 Christina Freeland, or as some people are calling her, right. not so Freeland. <laughs> you know what's interesting though? Like, like for the for the regular person, this is the same talking point as OpenSea. It's like until you are transacting in Bitcoin between two people that have built an entire ecosystem around Bitcoin, you still need an off ramp. So what they're doing right now, that Bitcoin doesn't necessarily like off ramp. Yeah, self-custody of Bitcoin in a economy where everybody accepts Bitcoin, yeah, you're good. But like the average person does not and has not been a part of that ecosystem. Even the biggest Bitcoin um, advocates in the world cannot operate outside of the banking system. Yeah. Like if you want to fly somewhere, like very, very few, uh, maybe there's one or two airlines that you can just like send a Bitcoin payment to. Um like this is, I think it's deeper than the idea of the idea of like which currency you store your wealth in. And it's like, should somebody be able to 
unilaterally cut you off from yeah. spending money without evidence. And I think if you ask, maybe we're close to 50, 50 right now, which is the most depressing fucking reality to live yep. in that people believe because they're on one side of an issue that that's an appropriate response. Right. Yeah. And this is one side of an issue, right? Like you can, I'm like, there are precedents for the things that people are arguing against in other countries in the world right now, where these restrictions have been like unilaterally removed. And that's what like the, that's what this protest is about. Right. This is not like, somebody protesting for the right to like go around and blow people's heads off. Right. 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 Like, Dude, to your, no, exactly to your point. Well, let's make clear like they want, re, they want to loosen restrictions for the pandemic. Right. And here's the reality, Denmark, Spain, UK, they've all loosened restrictions. Omicron has proven to be a lot less deadly than feared. Right. So Trudeau was elected in last fall. First of all, he called an election during a pandemic to secure more powers. It was already a very questionable move what he did. Having said that, he won the election. So you can walk out of that and say, you know, what? I have a mandate to prosecute a strong kind of pandemic response. Having, but things have changed, right? Omicron has just not been as bad as it could have been. And I think you have to be able to be flexible as a leader of a country, as a politician, and we know how flexible politicians are, right? They'll change on a dime. But yeah, that flexible means is a nice word powers, to use right? there. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? More like right. chameleon, so, like yeah. One, um, like I wasn't going to pull this up, but I'm going to do it. Um, so check this out. This is not zerohedge.com. This is not any like mega, um, you know politically leaning organization here, World Economic Forum. You guys understand markets, correct? Let's look at this graph. So for people listening, could you just uh, describe what you're looking at, Jack? So there's a, a graph here on worldeconomicforum.org that charts the supply of vaccines per country. Canada has pre-ordered eight doses per person. Right. Paid for. Yeah. So there is um, my, I allow everybody to come to their own conclusions. I'm not presenting an opinion here, but markets rule everything around us. Well, I mean, here, let, 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 let's kind of round this out. So Canada as a country is about 85% vax, one dose, right? So we're, we're hit, like, we're not like a, a negligent country uh, and the, the citizenship, the citizenry has hit a very respectable number. And it's impossible to expect any country to hit hundred percent without mass mass, you know, forcing of the population. To do that. They're just a subsector that will not get vaccinated. Right. And uh, whether that be for health or personal reasons. So listen, you hit 85%, even the truckers are highly vaccinated. Yeah, I was going to say, apparently the, the again, truckers reported are 90% or something or like that. More vaccinated than the, yeah. uh, the broader population. But it was so more the like, principle of yeah. don't force this on people. That was well, the, hey, the, the, the all in guys talked about this and they brought, this is the point that I'll just add is like, they're like, you know, this, the, it's the end of the, the, it's clear that these vaccine mandates, you know, it, we're, it's worked to the point, right? It's like just uh, Jason Calacanis kept uh, tweeting. He's like, just take the W. You don't need to keep prosecuting it. Why is the Canadian government and the situation in Canada deteriorating when around the world in Western countries, the pandemic is kind of hitting a lull now, right? It's like, why at the 
the lull of the Omicron. The tail end. Yeah, which has not been a crisis or nearly as bad as people expected. Why is it at this point is the fabric of Canadian society fraying as, right. as you it dig happens. your heels in on this? This yeah. is the thing you choose to like destroy the freaking reputation of what you stand for over. Well, I think here's the thing that I want to talk, talk specifically about it. Uh, I don't want to get into the politics, but I'll talk about the banking system. So Can- the Canadian banking system is globally respected or was globally respected, right? I don't know what the fall from this is going to be, but I just want to tease out a thought experiment here. So one of the one of the chief uh, moments speaking to how quote unquote strong Canadian banks are, how well, capital, well, ca- well capitalized they are, how well they manage risk was during the 2008 crisis, there was no bank failures for Canada's big five banks. That's the Royal Bank of Canada, Scotiabank, Bank of Montreal, CIBC, and uh, a TD uh, Canada. Which so one were you interning at, Trump? Uh, Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> so those banks flowed through 2008 and their reputations were fully intact. Uh, Mark Carney, who was the central bank um, head at the time, won rave reviews. He ended up going to the UK. He was a head of the central bank UK for his performance in Canada. So like the reputation of Canadian banks, well capitalized, low risk, wasn't involved in all this uh, mortgage-backed security fuckery. It's like great reputation globally, very secure, very stable, a place that you can go as an investor, as a foreign individual that wants to build a business and build wealth, right? In literally in over a weekend, without even thinking, do you know how much money Trudeau might have cost the Canadian economy in terms of lost confidence for the banking system? That's a great point. No, dude, think about this. Well, I'll make a here's the Canada has such a a wealth of natural resources. It has such geographical wealth. You're next to the greatest economy in the world. You're winning on all fronts, right? Like 70% of Canada's GDP is connected to the United States. That's just pure geographical luck, right? And then you're talking about the natural resources this country has. So Canada has this pristine banking system, globally recognized, globally respected, built on top of amazing geographical and a natural wealth. But here's the problem. Imagine if Switzerland, Singapore, or Hong Kong had done what Justin Trudeau did, right? Their economies would be wiped because all they have is that they are a place to do business, that they are a place where the banking system, get me straight, Switzerland's banking system has problems, but people know they can go there and it can be, you know, you can, you can protect wealth. And listen, that, that creates a lot of negative situations too, but that's a reputation, right? And or take Singapore or Hong Kong, these uh, Asian financial centers, more Singapore now because of what's happening in Hong Kong and China. But Canada gets to almost get away with destroying its Canadian bank uh, reputation because you have natural resources and you're sitting right next to the United States. And it's just kind of crazy to think about. So the question is, what is going to happen to the reputation of Canadian banks? I don't know. Um, but it does. There's going to be an effect, right? The people are going to start second guessing if they want to start a business here, uh, if their assets can be seized just with no yeah. due recourse. And Trung, as you, as you talk about that, I am going to bring up the screenshot of the response from Nunchuck team, which is, <laughs> can you guys see that here? Okay. So uh, okay, Blah, so, you want to well, read I'll, it? And I'll read this out. And so this was them tweeting out. It said yesterday. Wait, uh, wait, who are they? Who are they? Nunchuck. I, I, 
Nunchuck, I think there's some sort of like, I don't wallet actually provider? know. Yeah, wallet provider. They make, or a, some... they make a multi-sig software wallet. So Got essentially it. like you can custody your Bitcoin probably with like one or two other parties to secure it, like, you know, distribute your access to your Bitcoin. Yeah, so they, they tweeted out, yesterday Ontario Superior Court of Justice sent us some injunction ordering us to freeze and disclose information about the assets involved in the Freedom Convoy 2022 movement. Here's our official response. And this just talks to the point you said about banking system, kind of ties in what we talked about the Bitcoin side too. And they essentially said, uh, I'll try to summarize this, but Nunchuck is a self-custodial collaborative multi-sig Bitcoin wallet. A lot of jargon there, but essentially you can have they're a software yourself. provider they're a software provider right not we're not a bank essentially what they're saying we're a software provider not a custodial financial intermediary our software is free to use it allows people to eliminate single points of failure and store bitcoin in the safest way possible while preserving privacy we do not collect any using uh, identification information beyond email addresses we also do not hold any keys therefore we cannot freeze our users assets we cannot prevent them from being moved we do not have knowledge of the existence nature value and location of our users assets this is by design please look up how self-custody and private keys work when the canadian dollar becomes worthless we'll be here to serve you too sincerely the nunchuck team brilliant absolutely savage response. ending yeah. listen I, i'm not saying that i agree with the last line but i mean wow what a what a crazy email <laughs> it is a pretty crazy email so but again that just kind of ties in what you were talking about there around the banking system like you know you can get your bank frozen, obviously. And it kind of brings up the idea of decentralized versus decentralized custody of your own Bitcoin too, which we've obviously talked about a lot here. So if you have a Coinbase account, a Gemini account, et cetera, and you hold all your crypto there, you do have KYC, right? You know your customer that you do have to put your your um, you know details in there, which in general, I'm not like super against, right? But at the same time, if you truly want to own, you know, your your money and have full control over it, that is why the old saying goes, not your keys, not your crypto. So another reason for everyone to kind of explore that again. The other thing I wanted to bring up was the parallels to M-Peso. It's something Trung had uh, kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. So yeah. Trung, what, what was that thought you had? Because for people that don't know, M-Peso is one of the leading kind of payment providers or is it a It's, it's a mobile system? payment system Mobile that was founded in Kenya. System. Yeah. It's uh, exactly. Safari is the name of the telecom. It's spread around uh, Africa. But basically, I mean, so I lived in Vietnam for five years. A lot of uh, Vietnam is largely very unbanked when I was there. I can't remember what the percentage of the banking population was, but like one way that you could interact a lot, everybody had phones, right? So in a lot of ways that became a way for people to interact. So think about the same thing in Kenya. Uh, very under or unbanked population. They don't have bank accounts. There aren't branches in rural areas of uh, Kenya, but there are mobile phones. And basically- and, you and can... Sorry, trying just one thing to add there is a lot of people like might not know, but there's, you know, $20 feature, you know, um, I forgot what it called. They, they might not be like, you know, an iPhone, obviously. They're just like really yeah, cheap like, uh, like no like, phones or whatever. Like block. Uh, Nokia phones that are 20 bucks yeah, and exactly. then you can play snake on, right? Those are widespread exactly. <laughs> in the emerging markets. Yeah. But the point is that, so you can, you can, uh, so in North America, most people have uh, post-pay plans, right? 
where they just pay at the end of the month, however their usage is. But in emerging markets, and actually I did this in Vietnam for literally the entire time I'm there, you buy these scratch cards and it gives you like a $5 worth of like call time. And uh, that's what, that, that's a, similarly what was going on in Kenya. But you can load your phone with credits and you can send these credits and they're effectively money, right? And so specifically what the M-Pesa moment was, was this. So now in 2022, M-Pesa is widely used in Kenya and other parts of Africa as a primary mobile banking solution, right? And, but it wasn't because when it started that they had some magical launch where everybody just picked it up. It came out of a moment of crisis. So Kenya had an election in 2008. Uh, After the election, there was widespread uh, kind of um, civil disobedience, rioting, uh, probably related to the nature of the election itself, I'm assuming. And what that meant was that a lot of roads were blocked. A lot of uh, businesses and banks were shut down. So typically the way that M-Pesa worked when it launched was that if you worked in an urban area of Kenya, you were sending money back to your family in the rural area, right? That makes sense. You go to the city to make money. There's better opportunities and you send money back home. Uh, this happens everywhere in the world. It's like the rural uh, communities have less uh, financial opportunities and commercial opportunities. But what happened in 2008 after the elections was they were seeing that money was flowing from the rural area to the urban areas because the urban people, people living in the urban areas couldn't do anything because of these riots. So basically the massive uptake in uh, M-Pesa or this mobile payment solution happened because of civil unrest. And the person that wrote about it was Isabella Kaminska. She's a former Financial Times columnist. But her parallel was basically saying that like, and she's also a massive crypto skeptic. But after what happened in Canada, she's also like, wow, I, I get now. And to me, this looks like an M-Pesa type moment where a very, a line in the sand is drawn, something very specific happened where they changed the behavior of an entire generation. So basically the M-Pesa situation really escalated after the civil unrest following the election. And she notes that it's been very hard for other uh, countries to copy what happened with M-Pesa, the launch of a mobile payment solutions, because the other countries saw that the telecom basically just took the banking monopoly away from the banks. And they're like, we can't let that happen because regulating finances is much different than regulating telecoms. Right. And so like that moment may be happening with crypto now is like, and Bitcoin is like everything we just talked about is like, is this such a salient moment of what happened that it could change an entire behavior of globally for any population that's worried about, Hey, or is there stuff going to get seized? So that's at, the, at least the narrative. And at least the narrative trunk, right? Because I think we've been, you know, there's been the narrative of digital gold for Bitcoin and, you know, inflation, hyperinflation, which is which is quite a valid argument already. Yeah. But like, you know, if we go back to our boy Balaji's frame of woke capital versus decentralized capital versus communist capital or crypto capital, if you want to call that instead of decentralized. So woke decentralized slash crypto versus communist. This is kind of an, another example of like these sort of moments are going to bring more awareness to a potential shift in that direction. And uh, and again, I'm not describing, you know, I'm not even passing judgment on what this one would be like because it's, it's probably in between a few of those things. But those are the kind of like big moments that really do accelerate 
adoption a lot of the time in you know as you mentioned the m-pesa thing there and it like we've said throughout this conversation is set a precedent and if Canada can do it, so can the UK, so can France or anyone else. And um, and I, I think if there was if the, if there wasn't so much condemnation of all of this, um, I don't know actually though. Is there? I mean, what's the mood in Canada? Like, are people generally like what the hell's going on, or are most people still kind of supportive of this? You're on mute, Trung, or I can't hear you. Yeah, I mean, I have friends that support what Trudeau is doing, so I, I'm happy to hear what the other side is. Um, their position basically is that the provinces and, and local authorities were not doing their jobs uh, to quell the unrest in Ottawa, so they were begging the government to come in and do something, and then the government comes in with a freaking bazooka. And, like, uh, the, the question to me is this. is Okay, the federal government needs to do something. Justin Trudeau needs to do something. Because they weren't doing anything. So they let this thing fester. And then they come in with a crazy solution. It just, none of it, to me, clears the bar for what was allowed. I mean, you have to clear a certain bar to do this, right? But you know what? I, that, that was their argument. Um, I, don't, I don't fully buy it. And uh, I think the mood of, uh, I think the global mood is the right one here. It's like, this is such a clear precedent. I mean, you guys, like, I'm talking to you guys. You guys were shocked. I mean, you're two British citizens uh, living in the United States. And you, so we we're very attuned to Western sentiments. And we're like, wow, this is crazy. Right. That's it. That's, that's the feeling. Yeah. The, the only other th a parallel, and uh, this is a kind of touchy subject. So I, I don't want to get demonetized before we monetize, as we've said many times here. Um, and definitely not on the same scale, obviously, but after nine 11, there were obviously all of the rules that changed around being able Patriot to monitor Act, yeah. people, the Patriot Act. Exactly. We've all seen, uh, you know, the movie about it and, um, and, you know, again, like living in the UK, a lot of that's those same kind of rules were applied there as well and and again this is you know they're very different situations of course this is not 9-11 um by any means but i think there's a similarity in in the fact of something happens there's a major event and the government is now trying to use that to do stuff which might not always be in the best interest of society. Again, the Patriot Act is a very touchy subject as well. And we generally try to stay away from politics on the show. But I think this one is kind of hard not to uh, discuss. So um, anything else on the Canada situation, boys, before we move on? I know normally this show is filled with um, JPEG discussions and uh, a lot of fun. But this one, I think, needed to be discussed because it's quite a major thing going on. Anything else to wrap up, Tron? I don't, I'd love I don't to, have I'd any. Love to hear Jack's thoughts. Yeah, just a, a closing thought. I think outside of the political climate and this context is like the concept of money is something that I think technology, social media, like everything that connects us more closely now is inviting people to try and understand at a deeper level, right? Like the generations before us, maybe it was harder to get, especially without a crypto, right? Without a, like essentially a challenger to an existing system, the larger theme and the, I think the amazing thing to live through and watch and see unfold is this like moment of understanding the concept of money, who gets to control it, who decides monetary policy, what is downstream from monetary policy? Like 
how has your generation's opportunity been affected by the way in which your government decided to manage money, create money, distribute money. And I think that like, as we go into like 2024, maybe a huge, I'm seeing this on crypto Twitter a lot is like people will start to vote for politicians. And this has always been the case, but maybe not as intricately or as nuanced based on how they frame their stance of, I think going back to punk six, five, two, nine thread, like the freedom to transact and what is money and how we manage it as a country. I think that's going to be like I don't, a fascinating thing to watch in the coming years. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely put mate. Um, all right, boys, that was a heavy one, but thanks for uh, breaking that down. Both of you really well put. Um, let us know what you think about that. That was a really interesting discussion. Um, and I, one thing I will call out to our amazing supporters in Kenya, this is now NIA is officially the number four most popular investing podcast in uh, Kenya. And Come on, bro. Well, okay, it was maybe for a few days. Who knows? Well, it's but, about to hit number one with the MPs shout out. <laughs> exactly. Number seven on business. But uh, yeah, thank you to our, I don't know how many people actually listen in Kenya, but that was a pleasant surprise this weekend. Um, all right, you, boys, yeah. let's wrap it up on a lighter note here. Everyone's favorite chain, uh, Starbucks. Um, there was a tweet here. I can't remember who, who tweeted this out, but they, they shared that the lifetime value of a Starbucks customer is $15,000, which is crazy, right? Like if just zooming out for a years. second, over 20, over 20 years. years, right? But if you think how many times you spend like four or $5 for a cappuccino or a latte or whatever, like adding that up to 15K is kind of crazy if you think about it. Actually, um, let's walk it through. Uh, 15K over 20 years is uh, 750 a year yeah. divided by, let's call it five days a week. So, you're going five days a week, so two fifty. So you're spending three dollars, three dollars a day, five days a week. All right, I think Jack Butcher here is the who's the biggest Starbucks fan between the three of us. I think Jack? Jack. No, Jack I'm loves a, the yeah, franchise. Yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a love a good franchise, man. Yeah, you know <laughs> Costco. Well, talk, wait, Jack, talk talk us through your love of Starbucks. Have you have either of you guys worked on a Starbucks contract? No, no. Um, I think. It, you know, the UK didn't have like a coffee culture. I'd, I'd actually probably didn't drink coffee until I was like 23, 24 or something. You were, you were a PG tips tea guy. And I was on the PG tips. Yeah. <laughs> Lugging around my own personal box of tea to all my jobs. Oh, right? seriously? Was drinking coffee. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I used and, to do that uh, with Earl Grey and English breakfast mix. Where you literally just take the tea bag and heat it yourself. Like, is this what you guys talking about? Yeah, yeah, you just got to have your own brand, man. You got exactly, yeah. Especially exactly. in the states, because uh, it's different. It tastes different. That's true. And then, uh, or they give you a little Lipton, a Lipton tea. You oh. don't want to be anywhere near that, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's outrageous. I was in, living in New York as well, so it's like obviously there's good independent coffee shops and stuff. But then I think like traveling maybe got me into it. You know, the Starbucks at the airport and that stuff is like gassed up on a different level. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's like... Uh, it's that nitro, fam. It's that nitro. <laughs> yeah. Sean, I know you enjoy the caffeine too, but like Starbucks, if you need to get something done in a hurry, it's always been my weapon of choice. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I like to uh, I like to support the indie coffee shops. You know, we don't want to see a Starbucks in every corner either. That's but, true. Uh, That's true. They are... It is a very impressive operation and brand. And Trunk's done the whole, you know trung x-ray on what they do so cleverly to grow their business um 
but yeah, man, it's a, it's a, um, incredible like, business as a, as a business case study, it's, it's just off the charts. Next level. Yeah. Well, which, yeah. we're, which we're gonna which we're gonna get into, uh, Bilal, and, Why don't we cheat up? What what specifically? Yeah, well, are we gonna I was gonna. Well, so we're gonna talk about the the what are they called? The gift cards in a second. But I was just gonna yeah. call out, um, not to turn this into an academic paper, but the the lifetime value. These are the variables they're basically using. They use the lifespan, the retention rate, the profit margin per customer, the rate of discount, yeah. and the gross margin per customer, right? So there's a whole PDF. If you're interested, just Google that. Uh, it's on Kiss Metrics if you want to see that. It comes out to 15 grand. But the interesting thing really is some of the tactics they've used. So I think this idea of uh, Sorry, using uh, gift oops, cards. That's the wrong one. Sorry, okay, guys. gosh. Uh, the trunk's going to share a screen in a second. But yeah, um, this idea of getting people to buy gift cards right like fifty dollars hundred dollars i was actually just in california like a month ago with my girlfriend's family and they're you know in their 70s or something and they even they were like paying with their phone with the prepaid stuff right so one yeah. is a gift card but two is just getting you to prepay there's not even a real incentive man like you're not even getting like that much of a bonus you get some it's bonus just, points right some some minor bonus yeah. points but like you don't realize you're giving them this free loan so trunk you want to break that down for us i know you've yeah, kind of so looked at this before it's uh it's one of those things that always ends up on twitter like when people joke about like oh you see it like every once a quarter you'll see this tweet did you know starbucks is a bank and I'm probably the person writing that tweet. <laughs> so I'll just break down. I'll break down the history of how it happened. And uh, I think uh, Bilal, you alluded to is like, I think 41% of purchases made in North America for Starbucks coffee is done via the loyalty card and app. So people are already used to paying without cash for Starbucks. Right. And um, they, and, and Bilal, you touched on it. There's, there's almost $2 billion loaded into these cards. And uh, $2 billion, that's wild. To give people an idea of what that means is the average, I mean, 85% of banks in the United States have less than $1 billion in assets. So that is where the joke comes in. But this is where it gets, this is where, where Starbucks gets to do some, whatever they want with those funds. Because those card dollars are not, I can't just take cash out with those cards dollars. Uh, you can exchange it for coffee and pastries and whatnot. It's not considered a bank. So they don't have to deal with all the regulatory stuff. They don't have to keep X amount of the money in deposits or like uh, make sure the deposit uh, to cash. So they literally, literally do whatever they want with that money. And then here's the other kicker in, in gift cards and in loyalty cards and kind of these, uh, these uh, apps that you use, there's something called breakage which means that uh, after an X amount of time, let's say a gift card isn't used for two, three years, the company that issues that gift card gets to declare that as revenue now. So, and the reality is that X amount of people will just never use it. How much unused money is on random things, right? So Crazy. like, it, it, well, I think it's the breakage for Starbucks is about 10%. So basically people are paying them you're, What's that? Two hundred million dollars yeah, then to put it. Not only are you not earning interest on the money you're keeping there, and not only can Starbucks do anything they want with it, you're basically paying them to do whatever they want with that money. Obviously, they're not doing anything, you know, uh, uh, untoward. But the whole point is that there's no regulation around it. So, like, a South Korean, the CEO of a South Korean financial services uh, company, I think the third biggest one in the country, literally went to the government and said Starbucks is an unregulated bank. 
It's like, how are they allowed to do what they're doing without any regulation? And it's not to say that Starbucks is, will, will, will create systemic risk with $2 billion. It's not a, a ton of money, but it's just, it's really funny, right? Like it really is a bank uh, in, in very many ways. Um, but that that's where the kind of uh, the meme comes from. Um, and the way it started actually was in 2008, I believe they released a loyalty card. And this was during the financial crisis and they just needed new ways to get people back through the doors. The company is actually struggling quite a bit at the time. Obviously Starbucks is considered more high end, more premium. And uh, Howard Schultz, uh, the, the, the marketing head that became the CEO of Starbucks and created the monster it is today. Uh, he wasn't the founder of the company, but uh, he's the one most well-known and connected to it and is the richest from Starbucks. He was chairman of Starbucks uh, uh, after he stepped down in 2000, but then they're in such a bad place. 2008, he came back and, uh, uh, the loyalty card is kind of like one of the major, um, things he implemented at the time. He also, this is pretty funny, but, uh, also speaking to the, 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 the personality that Starbucks tries to make, uh, he came back and got rid of like how they're making breakfast sandwiches. Cause it was ruining the smell of Starbucks. You guys remember that? Oh, you guys remember that, right? It's like, uh, Starbucks went down this whole breakfast sandwich thing, but like, it was ruining the, the scent of the roasted coffee. So now the way they do it doesn't affect the scent. And uh, I wanted to just, the screen share I was uh, showing was like just some, some standard funny stuff that they do to kind of uh, really stand out. And anybody that's, oh, hold on, what is that? Anybody that's watching uh, can see, I mean, this is pretty standard, right? It's not specific to Starbucks, but it'll be funny. If you're listening, I'm just showing a picture of a, of a standard Starbucks, but you see how they use light here uh, to kind of guide you toward the, uh, the, the kind of the goods. I mean, do you know how many random instant Starbucks coffee things I purchase because I go in the store, it's all dark and then they just have bright light where all the goods are. So that's really smart of them. The other thing is uh, they always put the, the kind of register at the back of where you walk through all the guests there. And you're just seeing everybody with their coffees and you're just getting your, it's a wet your appetite, people. You're walking through these <laughs> people. They're delicious. Yeah. It's a smart move, right? It's like but, um, the, uh, in, in my, my dad temp for a very short period of time had a Pakistani restaurant. And uh, one of the things I actually asked the guys to do there was walk around, you know, that sizzling mixed grill with the lamb chops yeah. and the kebab. Bro. Just, just do a little lap around, <laughs> wet the appetite for people. You know what I mean? Just uh, be like, what the hell is going on there? None, of these, none the of these are like, exactly. None of these aren't exclusive to Starbucks. They're just taking best practices, right? Yeah, smart. It's like yeah. dim, the, dim the cafe, put the light where you want people to walk to, which is where all the goods are sold. Right. So suckers like trunk buys instant coffee and then make them walk through and snake through where everybody <laughs> else are sitting with a delicious coffee. But, uh, one, let me, let me note some other things that I, I had about Starbucks here. I know people enjoy our love fest, but this one will be quick. Um, so the, I mean, yeah. So the personalizing the orders is absolutely genius. Absolutely genius. Where you write your name on it, even to get your name wrong, when you just personalize things, that's just next level, right? You, you're not going to Dunkin' Donuts and getting your name on it. The per people love hearing their name, even if it's spelled wrong, they have a good laugh and they make viral moments. It's just, and the menu structure is actually very interesting. They, uh, so whatever, it's tall, grande, and venti. It's just the way you structure menu and decision architecture. Instead of, instead of small, medium, large. Exactly. And it's not only that is like they have, so there is a, people might not know this, but there is a smaller uh, size than tall. It's called short and that's even cheaper, but it's how you structure the menu. Right. 
they want to push everybody towards a grande. So you, 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 you structure the venti and the talls. It used to have the short, it's very simple, like, um, kind of decision architecture, but they do that. The other thing I'll add is, uh, there's no dollar signs on, uh, the boards for the prices. It's just, oh, that's numbers. interesting. So it takes away the psycho, the psychological element being like, oh, doesn't want you brilliant. to thinking about money. Right. Love uh, it, man. so yeah, a number of Dude, where did you that, find this stuff, man? <laughs> I, uh, I got a lot of links here on this one, man. It's like CNBC talked about it. Bloomberg talked about it. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of stuff about, it's just like pricing psychology. And yeah. Stuff it's, like it's, this is like business case study stuff, like in a, in a great way. Um, Awesome, man. Anything else on Starbucks, boys? I mean, I will say the only time I really have Starbucks is in the airport because, uh, you know, you just know what you're going to get. In the same way, I always you have to hit that, you know, that 8 a.m. Start the, start the trip off nicely vibe and get a little burger from Burger King or, uh, <laughs> or uh, oh, the move right in Europe. You always got to get the prep because uh, you love a good egg sandwich from prep. Oh, my goodness. I love a good. Well, you know That's what? Let me, let me end on this note, actually, for the Starbucks. You guys will have a good laugh. So uh, a, a Redditor asked, uh, asked Reddit, is like, hey, Starbucks people, give us a secret about Starbucks we don't know about. And then uh, a guy just writes, hey, I'm a former barista. I'll decaf someone if they're really rude to me. <laughs> I, if you're an asshole to me, I will give you a decaf coffee and like, and I think no two things about it. This is That's a hilarious. former, this is a former uh, Starbucks employee. I don't know if it's true. Listen, I don't want to, I don't want to paint allegedly. this brush at all. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> Actually, the last thing they mentioned here is pretty funny is uh, st- they, obviously the margin on Starbucks coffee is so high that they spend all their money on the dairy, right? So like, the Starbucks is really a dairy company, like uh, masquerading <laughs> as a uh, as a coffee firm. The other thing I read on one of those uh, Reddit threads, Trung, was um, apparently an ex Starbucks barista said that I would often write people's names incorrectly just to like piss them off, which yeah. I can imagine happens all the time. Because sometimes, I mean, I my name is already a bit of a touchy subject because people say my name wrong all the time. And it's normally like, for example, they've said pilau, like pilau rice. Oh, bro. Or halal, like halal meat, which makes me feel a little guilty for not being a very good Muslim yeah, a lot bro. of the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that's why they, they I just stick to Bill in there. Yeah, I don't want to mess around with that, you know? So you tell wanna... Bill? Yeah, you... or I just make up Yo, a name bro. sometimes. I just Yo, make a name up. Yo, we need to talk about this reveal. Bill well, just says that he tells Starbucks. No, no, and the thing is, I hate being called Bill. I, I hate being called Bro, Bill you, by like random people. You do not people. look like a Bill either. I definitely Bill don't Zadie? look. <laughs> you do not look like a Bill. I also bro. sometimes use Mohammed, which is actually my real government name. It's Mohammed yeah. Bilal. Uh, Mohammed's a lot easier to uh, to spell. But anyway, um, all right, boys, that was a solid one. Anything else before we wrap up? No, that was uh, that was good, man. I hope. Uh, I hope uh, I'm still around next week, boys. Once we release this episode, who knows what's going to happen to your boy? We might have to start to come down. Did I? Jesus. I mean, you might you might have just bleep my entire section for the, the sit, dude. I mean, the, the last joke I have on this was like, I literally thought twice about liking a Jordan Peterson tweet because uh, he's very anti uh, Trudeau. Yeah. I'm like. Is this going to get me banned from the Canadian banking system? Someone's going to screenshot that and yeah. uh, bring that up every time you talk about anything. So, um, all right, boys, let's call it. Well, the only thing I was going to say, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this, but um, we talked about Virgil when he passed away. And I, I texted Jack about this yesterday. There's a guy in the UK called Jamal Edwards, who's kind of a pioneer 
in the UK music scene. Like he actually helped discover Ed Sheeran um, oh, wow. and like really put him on. And like a lot of people in the UK, he's got an MBE and unfortunately he passed away um, yesterday. And uh, it's, I've met him a few times. He's always been incredibly Wait, nice you, to me. You know, you, you knew I didn't know him that well. I just, I just met him a few times and I, he was kind of like an early YouTube pioneer as well. Wow. He would basically record, you know, a lot of these rappers that have now become huge and the UK, like what well, I'm in Mexico City right now and I was I sent you guys a video driving in the car my Dutch Lebanese friends is playing Dave and Stormzy he doesn't even know it's kind of like UK grime music and that is you know 15 20 years later from this sort of stuff that was built on YouTube in pirate radio stations and this guy was a real you know a huge part of the community and uh, yeah RIP to him man because he was, uh, he's he a was huge trending loss. on Twitter wow that yeah. is Legend. sad man legend you, man yeah do you know what would you know what happened or like uh, no the, his mum has come out and said that it was a sudden death sudden illness oh my which goodness is, uh, man Rest really really yeah really really sad but uh the, the only reason i mention it because i know we do have a few people listening from the uk and uh yeah more more than anything he was a great example of someone doing very positive things in areas that i love the internet media music and was always a really positive energy man so uh, r.i.p to to him man um anyway boys let's uh, call this one and um if you enjoyed that let us know this was a slightly different episode uh to to ones we've done in the past um but i hope you guys enjoyed that let us know in the comments what you thought of that and as always we really appreciate you guys messing with us every week and yeah, uh, spreading crazy. the word you know, it's, it really keeps us going. Like I'm in Mexico for the next month, but I've got my 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 camera and my my mic because this is uh, non-negotiable for non anything we're doing. And I'm still and, standing. Uh, I'm still standing. You're still standing till 69k Bitcoin, man. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So again, thanks for everything. Keep spreading love, sharing. Uh, we really love seeing your comments. Like we've shared a couple of amazing comments in the Telegram group because uh, people write some hilarious uh, YouTube comments in there as well. Um, yeah, just do us a favor share that in your group chat your slack messages uh, that's the way this this builds man and um we're going up against if you look at the top 100 podcasts which we just re-entered again in the business category a lot of those are networks they're people like new york times and like big companies that have 50 podcasts which is yeah. great but you know we're the complete independent we're we, going we, pure organic bro yeah. we're not listen it's like rogan we're not spending a dollar we, we might spend a, we, we might spend, spend a dollar eventually, but, yeah. but to right now we have not spent a dollar on growth. Yeah, exactly. We spent, and we haven't accepted, energy. we've had people wanting to sponsor the podcast and we haven't done that yet because we wanted to keep just uh, keeping it building and giving the best stuff we can. Uh, but yeah, so we really appreciate all the love and uh, we will see you on the next one. Cheers, boys. Peace out. Thanks, guys.